a lot of networking revolves around the individual, revolves around you. You know, the effectiveness of your network is directly reflected on your own competence, your ability to self-motivate, self-generate and, and advance. Um, and, you know, that is the way, probably the most effective way to generate a network that's going to work for you as the individual, but also work for the organization which you happen to be in. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Welcome back to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. My guest today has an incredible CV that positions him perfectly for a discussion on building networks and building relationships across a range of different sectors and organisational structures. He was a commanding officer for HMS Cumberland in the Royal Navy. He was the head of strategy management for the Ministry of Defence in the UK, and he led a national review of top-level nuclear governance for the UK MOD. He's also worked in the private sector advising on defence and security issues. So as I say, he's seen a range of different environments and how relationships play a key role in each of them. So it makes for a fascinating interview. So my guest is Russell Best OBE and I started out by asking Russell what underpins successful operations across the military world, civil service and the business world. Well, I think the first thing is that um, whatever, whether it's business or the armed forces or whatever, these things do revolve around people, personalities, they revolve around uh, personality types and, you know, both long and short term relationships. So uh, they may differ in the construct. For example, uh, if you're in a ship at sea as a junior officer, your relationship with the captain is defined by the fact that you know he's your superior but he's also your mentor and your guide and you know certainly when i was in command at sea i was very conscious that you know there were 300 and odd pairs of eyes on me every day and that is a discipline in itself so in the business sense although i didn't see as much of that it still very much applies the human relationship is fairly key to this i think the other common threat here is that um businesses as with other organizations, tend to value people who can self-motivate and generate their own momentum. Um, And the same is true of the armed forces. Although uh, in the military we have certain grades and ranks that perform certain functions and specializations, it is largely those individuals who are able to self-develop and show the initiative above and beyond um, perhaps their peers that tend to generate the effective networks. So, you know, competence is part of that, but also there's a sort of requirement for ingenuity. And I found that very much in in business to, to, to a much greater degree, I have to say, that if I was to put it colloquially, and I don't mean this in any way to, to decry, you know, the civilian uh, environment of working, but it, it, it's much easier to distinguish yourself in civilian life by going the extra mile than it is in the armed forces because broadly people in the forces are all motivated in that sort of way anyway. So there's an an issue there. Um, Certainly when I was running my own business, I I was running business for for an owner, but it was an industrial services business. Um, 
And what I found there was that, you know, I, I, I would... I would be loath to categorize people's development because uh, developments will, you know, take take a different path. But it was notable to me that we were in the downstream oil and gas business that when I went on to a refinery or somewhere like that, there were probably half a dozen to a dozen or so people that I met every time. And they weren't necessarily by grade or whatever. Some of them would be scaffolders. Some of them would be, you know, on, on the tools. Other guys might be, you know, in the office. And one happened to be the foreman. But these were the kind of people that movers and shakers that make things happen. And I had a similar, a similar experience when I was in a, a very large ship in the Navy. We had 1,400 people in the ship's company. But... I always reckoned, I was the second in command of this ship, I reckoned that we had maybe about 200 people at all ranks and levels that really made that ship work. And those were the kind of people that could do the networking. You know, I, I could, I, I was at that stage a commander in the Navy, still quite senior, but there were certain, you know, able seamen and whatever that I would meet on a daily basis, male and female, by the way, that I knew were key to running part of that ship in a much wider sense than their actual role. And so that network sort of grows across rank structures and across functionality. Um, I think the other thing, though, in business is that, you know, there is uh, a loyalty, if you like, to the bottom line at all levels. And certainly people who can make the contribution in a commercial sense uh, do tend to, you know, uh, well, A, catch the eye of of the management, but also in terms of their overall value, um, uh, then you know can be more appreciated in the business. There isn't in the military a "what's in it for me" type mentality, and that is that is probably the difference there. But but nonetheless, I, I think I would translate that a slightly a different way. The bottom line in a military sense is always about operational capability and operational efficiency. And if you notice people in your ship's company who are going the extra mile, they're usually the ones that are getting it right in terms of the operational capability and efficiency of the ship and using initiative. Now, a similar thing happens in business, but it tends to be much more bottom line orientated. And I, I've seen two sides of that, really. And in one company I was in, I, I saw a lot of people who probably were advancing through the system a bit more than they should have, uh, because they happened to be in areas that were highly productive and contributing to the bottom line, but not everyone in that particular division might have been worthy of the bigger bonus, the advancement and what have you. Um, but on the other hand, I saw a much clearer, cleaner line of sight in business to what generates value than you have you know, in the military because values are very different. I, I think, I mean, there's a lot a lot to unpack there. One of the things that really stands out for me is that you, you picked up people at all levels who were, you know, whatever whatever their, their, their rank was, they stood out to you. Uh, and, and I think there's a couple of things within that, that that I want to explore that I think will be um, really important for, for, for some people listening. Number one is that, particularly in a quite hierarchical structure, there's the fear of stepping out of line, um, sort of stepping forward too much and creating resentment amongst your, your colleagues. 
uh, by doing so. And I think it's important to understand how that's managed in organizations like, like in the forces. Um, and the second part of that is that one of the, the, the biggest questions or the most frequent questions I'm asked when I'm working with uh, larger organizations is how do I build my relationship with more senior people within the organization, with the senior leadership team. And, you know, part of that, I, I think, is not so much how do I build a relationship with the CEO, is how do I get noticed by the CEO? Uh, yeah. You know, both those areas, you know, how would you sort of look at your experiences both in the Navy and, and in business and say, this is where people did it well and this is where it didn't work, and, and what was the difference? Well, in the military, I think the big uh, distinguishing factor is competence and professionalism. Um, you can quite easily and readily take an opposing view and an idea. And by the way, the military does not operate by rote and by order. If it did, it would fail. And, you know, a, a singular point of failure other than in war of any commanding officer is having to give direct orders. I always used to, you know, think that was that was a negative thing. And most commanding officers do because basically you are governing by consent the vast majority of the time. But competence and professionalism I found in both business and in uh, the military are are key uh, key key uh, qualities that are required to generate the sort of traction you need with the seniors, whether it's the CEO, your commanding officer, or whatever. Uh, it, it's very difficult. Um, I, 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 my, I have a few anecdotal things on this would be, uh, you know, in, in a military context. Um, uh, we we had a captain who shall remain nameless, whose method of commanding the ship really was to stay broadly in his cabin and occasionally appear, you know, on the bridge. Um, and you know, in that context, uh, which was unusual, it's very difficult because he didn't know a lot of people to actually sift out who is giving you good advice and who isn't. Um, on the other hand, you know, I was working for a very big business here in the UK, 32,000 employees worldwide. And the CEO, I can guarantee of the business, was known directly by everybody in that business. But he didn't suffer fools. So everybody knew that, and he'll remain nameless, but his first name was Peter. If Peter was on a call or visiting a factory or a plant or whatever, you knew that you could talk openly and directly to Peter, but you needed to know your onions. And, and I think that is one of the key things. If I was looking at, you know, people think networks generate themselves and they generate it around the prawn cocktail set or whatever it is. Broadly, in my experience, whether it's military or civilian, people who are effective at generating networks are also very effective at their job. Uh, and, and the key starting point is you want to know that you're dealing with somebody who is all over their brief and they're bringing something to you, either of value to you, it's going to contribute to your own uh, advancement as the CEO or whatever, or it's something that genuinely needs to be discussed because these people are competent and they know what they're saying. So and I suppose the biggest challenge in this, um, and I found this particularly in business as opposed to the military, is at the very junior level. You know, your people who come in, as recruits in the military or officer uh, cadets, those kind of people, um, how they get to feel comfortable in articulating their case 
Um, and again, you know, the, the, the competence bit is, is not as high in, in their area because they don't know enough. But the real thing that you're generating all the time is the confidence in those people through the training and everything else to be able to articulate that. I did find that a weakness in business. I found that, you know, newcomers in, 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 in business, we had a very active apprenticeship training scheme, for example, and a graduate training scheme. But those people did not have the sort of innate confidence that junior officers and recruits have in the Navy to raise things to command. And I think that's something that generates, it needs a bit more of a spotlight on it from a business perspective. Do you think that comes from the um, management setting themselves apart from those people at graduate level and isolating themselves effectively, like your captain that, that only appeared every now and then, uh, rather than if, if leaders were more accessible, confidence among the lower ranks would, would rise? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll just clarify the captain who only appeared now and then. He was a very competent man and had driven a, a, a big nuclear submarine and all the rest of it. It was, it was a style of operation. Um, but, you know, what, what, what I would say, coming back to your point there, is that the big difference in the armed forces to business is there is a common and shared experience from day one of everybody. You know, everybody in my ship, I had gone through the training system at Dartmouth. I had gone through all of the type of uh, training we do for fleet boards and everything else at sea. I've done the professional warfare training. We'd all come up the same way. Uh, now, that doesn't exist in, in business and civilian life. So you have to try and generate it another way. And companies with good cultures do generate that. There is a common, uh, you know, you see it more, more I, I think, explicitly in the large corporates here and certainly in American corporates where people know you know, they walk in the door, they're a Raytheon man or a Boeing man or whatever, or woman, as the case may be. The bottom line is that, you know, you don't have that uniformity of experience in business life. So you have to try and cultivate that and generate it a different way. And, you know, some businesses do this well. I, 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 I was involved in a business where, you know, their method of doing this was not so good. It was bringing people to jamborees about three times a year, spending an awful lot of money um, with largely people, you know, listening to a few boring talks and then getting rather merry overnight. But, the, you know, that was that, that is not really the way to do it. You, you have to walk the walk every day and inculcate a business culture that, you know, generates this common or shared experience. Um, and, and transparency is a big part of that. Uh, you know, if, if you're not transparent in leading your business and communicating to your people, your people are going to be underdeveloped because they won't they won't graft onto what are the business challenges at the top. Uh, I think the forces are particularly good at that, but you know, I haven't seen it as strongly in in in, in business life. We hope that you are enjoying this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Don't forget, you can download your copy of Andy's book, Connected Leadership, from Amazon and other leading online bookstores. It's interesting you mentioned the jamborees because it's something that I mention uh, in Connected Leadership because I talk about, you know, there's a chapter on building a relationship culture throughout an organization. And, and one of the things I said is, you know, you can't do that with one team building day a year. You know, I, I, you know, as one of those boring speakers or hopefully not so boring speakers, there's a place for it, but it's got to be part of an overall strategy. 
where you're creating those conversations across the organization every day. Um, one of the things that you've got me thinking about as you, you express that, we're talking about hierarchies here. I think the natural, the natural thing to do within a hierarchy is to network at your peer level, build your relationships with people at the same level as you. Um, but one of the things I'm taking from this is that it's equally important to, to do, to build relationships throughout the organization. Now, most people will focus on networking up as I uh, touched on earlier with my question earlier, but it's equally important to be willing to, to network with people in less uh, senior positions as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one, of, one of the big advantages that I had, you know, in the Navy at more senior level was that I, I knew most of the junior level ranks in many of the, the admiral, uh, admiral staffs and indeed ministers staffs and that in, in the MOD because, you know, they'd either work for me or they, you know, been part of my development along the way. Um, and, you know, the, there's, there's nothing better than, you know, I, I remember, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we had a particular awkward <laughs> admiral joined uh, the the MOD and, and was, was quite, quite a difficult man to deal with. I didn't know him particularly well, um, but I knew his uh, petty officer, Stuart, who looked after his, what we call his retinue, the, 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 the domestic side of the admiral's residence and that very well because, you know, he had been a, a junior uh, steward in another ship I was in. And I sort of rang him up and said, you know, can we meet for a coffee or whatever, which we did. And he sort of gave me all the Admiral's little foibles in about half an hour. <laughs> so by the time he joined as my boss, I knew most of what I needed to know about the Admiral. But in a very domestic way, I knew, you know, I knew what his wife liked, you know, to do. I knew the way he ran his, you know, his weekend routine, that kind of stuff that you wouldn't get in any other way. And And although we were... At that stage, several ranks apart, these we'd served together before, um, and, and it, it kind of works that way. Um, some of the big corporations do still work along those lines, but uh, one of the things that I, I've found that kind of divorces that from from the glue of the company is is, is this kind of medium, the, the the development of you know the IT based uh, kind of business we do at the moment, where you know, the human contact is naturally reduced. And I'm not just talking about the COVID situation, but before that, as it was generating, uh, you know, and again, the, the CEO who thinks that, you know, the once a week video multi-screen conference with his people, and it's usually really only the top people, is going to somehow impart culture, you know, through the business, is, is getting that wrong. You know, uh, coming back to, both sides of the networking thing that we're talking about, in, in particularly in hierarchies, it does work on the human-to-human -human interface level. You know, um, for example, uh, you know, if, if a senior officer has, you know, been around your establishment or whatever, and you hit it off or whatever, it, it, they they will remember that because you know, as as a senior guy, you go out to these places, you meet probably a couple of hundred people during the day, whatever. But you tend, the ones who stick in the memory are the ones who engage you with something. And they say, you know, uh, oi, so what about this? You know, we were told we were going to have, you know, whatever it was, new boots last week that didn't arrive, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, the same thing happens in industry, uh, but it only happens if you're walking the walk. You don't get that, you know, networking thing. And, and I, I found actually in um, 
the industrial sector, um, which is a, a really old style, it's almost like a, 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 a non-reformed 1950s uh, business structure. I'm talking about you know, downstream oil and gas, ship repair, um, power stations, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, they still have quite a lot of this kind of hierarchy where, you know, the boss walks around and the guy's not quite in cloth caps. You know, someone calls out a question. That person is right on the spot with their own workforce as well, because, you know, they'll, they'll, make, they'll, they'll make a fool of him if it, if it wasn't the right thing to say. Um, and uh, I, I found that, you know, in, in that context, there were people, again, we were on a multi-site business. There were people on all those sites at Workerbee level who were very much, you know, the people that you would trigger. You just go and say, you know, let's ring up and find out, you know, old Fred down there at wherever it was, you know, let's say Foley Refinery, that, you know, spoke to us the last time we were there about six weeks ago. He had a real gripe about that. Can you just ring him up and find out what he's thinking about that now? Because, you know, that's the itch that I probably need scratching on that site. And again, you know, that is a network um, that's very, very valuable, but it, it's working in a, a different context to say the kind of thing that when you say networks to people these days, they do tend to think of, you know, people around the posing tables at receptions and talking over a glass of bubbly, that kind of thing. Um, there are many facets to networking, and some of the most valuable ones are not generated in that kind of environment. And that's exactly why, you know, a lot of my work now focuses on on using the term professional relationships rather than networking because of that misconception. And you've you've really landed on something really important that is one of the key benefits of building these networks, building these strong relationships that gets overlooked. And that's the information, the sources of information, insight, ideas, validation of your own ideas. Um, you talked about, I think it was the petty officer who gave you the, all the insights that you needed. Um, you only get those from talking to people. Uh, and you, you compared, you know, the Zoom meeting approach with the face-to-face. And, you know, the, the, the phrase that sprang to my mind when you talked about CEOs delivering to their senior teams um, is that you need to be focused on conversation rather than presentation, and then you'll build the type of relationships that you'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, on that one, um, uh, you know, how many times have we all seen, you know, that the CEO will spend maybe up to a month reflecting his annual results presentation or whatever, going out to investors, uh, but probably goes out the door with five minutes of preparation and a sheet under his arm to go and talk to the factory or, or, or whatever it is. I, I'm not saying that's all the time, but I, it's behavior that I've seen that is uh, it, it, not great. I mean, I, I used to uh, have a, a routine with my ship's company at sea. First of all, if they were getting, you know, day to day, you'd go around and see the ship or whatever. But if I had to talk to them as a ship's company, it was usually only going to be along parameters that were going to be kind of life-changing, i.e., you know, the major shift in the ship's program, they were going to go away from their families for another six months or whatever, uh, or it was something that was directly relevant to them, their pocket, their families, whatever. Um, and, you, you know, that requires, you know, requires quite a lot of preparation to actually get that right. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that, you know, in business generally that people – take people for granted but when it's on your own doorstep certainly in a business sense i found far less preparation than when we're talking to investors and whatever and i I think that's probably understandable but it's it's not best practice you know it it, it needs a 
the same level of effort into into both communities really and and if you're if you're only talking to a, a stakeholder group if i can use that term when you've got bad news to deliver then of course when you turn up that their defenses are going to spring up so again taking the approach where you you're engaging with them as peers even within a hierarchy and even if there's several layers of that hierarchy between you means that when you do have bad news to deliver that you can engage in a much more constructive conversation yeah uh, with them uh, about it the beauty of a ship is that you all leave, live together for usually six months or plus in a steel box and so whether you're the captain or whether you're the most junior uh, sailor on board uh, you know, there is there is a common bond there. And, you know, you see people because you live with them, you walk around. But what, what I think is is different, though, is is that is, you like, the, the day-to-day networking piece. It is still important in a corporate context to convey message that, uh, messages that are corporate and not individual in a way that people understand, A, this is important, and B, it's different to just, you know, talking to the the captain as I did yesterday morning at Stand Easy or whatever it was. So I, I think, you know, the, the issue, uh, and then if you translate it into the business life, um, you, you can't over-communicate. But on the other hand, um, certainly in the sort of more public fora that you see, the LinkedIn's and whatever, the, the, there's an awful lot of stuff that you look at it and you think, well, you know, if I'm the employee of this organization, what do I interpret this as? Is it normal jogging? Is it something they really want me to do, or is it just blah? And and you know, I think if you get lost in that mush uh, as the as the CEO, then you're not quite getting it right. You've got to have an element of that detachment. But but getting back to the networking piece, I think one of the issues today is that people mistake the networking arrangement as being the kind of LinkedIn network and that kind of of community and, and that's valuable it's not you know it, it is a valuable community uh i do get a bit jaundiced when people talk about thought leadership because really in thought leadership context you need to be bringing people with you not just broadcasting it out on the net for everybody to, to put their prate in um but you know I, I, I how that works for example in the armed forces now um more often than not your people will come to you first via electric electronic means, you know, one way or the other. And they're all talking to their families, and their families are on the, the, the net as well. So, you know, if something's liable to be not quite working right, it's not that you get bombarded with that. There are ways of filtering it out, you know, the Navy obviously is a secure organization, whatever. But, you know, it is a very different way of networking now than it was, say, when I joined the forces, God, 40 years ago. Uh, and, and all of that has to be, you know, brought into context. But in, in a business context, I think there can be an over-reliance on that kind of medium to think that you're networking. So let me just get that in perspective. At the one hand, networking to me isn't, you know, totally, it may be in part the prawn cocktail circuit and, you know, the cocktail parties, whatever. Neither is it the going out into the world of LinkedIn and expressing your thoughts or uh, Facebook or or whatever. Um, But it, it does come back again to, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I've got a really good network with that company, I know. First question is, right, how does it work? How, what network have you got? I mean, is it, uh, oh, well, I spoke to the CEO, answered me on a, a post on LinkedIn. All right, okay, that's something. Um, but, you know, uh, I play golf with the uh, chief operating officer. That's maybe something different. 
uh, you know, or the CEOs, uh, you know, I, I, I know the CEO from a previous business I was in 10 years ago, we keep in touch, blah, blah, blah. So you have to judge it, you know, it, it, it's, and I think I, I do find now in a, in a consultancy capacity that there are people who genuinely believe they have a network. And when you actually splice into it, uh, it, it's not that much more than the kind of thing that I've described in explaining, you know, I posted something, the CEO came back to me, he was very kind, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, fine. But what is a network? Uh, and a network has to be something both in a military sense and business life that you have skin in the game in somehow or other, you know, both sides have got it. It comes down to depth of relationship. And, and, and a lot of people get distracted by numbers. You know, how big is my network and, and how broad is it? And you've got to be looking at how deep are the relationships within that network as well, because it's about having people who have the opportunity to help you who want to help you and who know how to do so as well. And that doesn't come from just shaking hands when you, when you cross paths. It comes from getting to know them and getting those deep conversations. Talking about the depth of relationship and looking at it within a hierarchical structure, um, one of the key things for me to look at is where the line is between the personal rapport and the professional distance. Uh, and, and particularly as people really find that they've got a lot in common and they build a strong relationship, I think it, that, that very often can get confused in both uh, a, a, a military and a, a business context. Is that something that you've come across either within your own career or, or with people that you've, you've led? Um, and how do you manage that balance effectively? Yeah, well, it, it is very much there in a, in a military context. Uh, you know, the the buck stops. You know, the higher the rank, really, um, and that has to be you know put in the context of what the military are very good at. Of course, is putting in the right level of advice around you know senior ranks. Most, for example, admirals or generals will have uh, a, a, a colonel, captain, group captain type level who is probably somebody on the up, but is experiencing both ends of the command chain, if you like, and therefore can, you know, advise them uh, appropriately on that on a very personal level. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the line drawing is, and I, I found this particularly in the Ministry of Defence, where you were dealing with three layers, really, the military layer, the civil service, and the political. Um, and, you know, it gets very blurred, really, at the top level. I was on a small... Uh, ministerial advisory team for the Secretary of State for Defence, and we had representatives of all of that. And what you have to be conscious of there, and, and it's the same really in a big corporate, is where the functionality exists between the different parties. So, for example, you know, there is a point where you realise, and the reason you're in these posts is you're there because you have an element of political acumen, which is a very interesting thing to develop in business as well but there comes a point where you realize that you're in the political domain and you know it's not for you to speak equally you know the civil service have their procedures protocols and everything else um, and we used to broker that very well there were only eight of us in the team but at the same time it comes back to an earlier point i made it's competence and respect for competence so you know my opposite numbers were you know one of them was uh, the the point of advice for the whole defence budget in the Treasury. So you've got to assume that however they come across, they've done a good job to get there. Um, and usually then we're operating with the junior ministers and whatever, and whatever you say about 
politics and junior ministers, there's none of them that aren't bright and none of them haven't gone through the right levels of, 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 of blooding, I suppose, to get there. So there's a generation of, of respect there. I think in, in, in the business sense where, where I came across that maybe not working so well was when, when I was I was at an immediate sort of sub-board level in, in a big PLC where uh, we had a very good CEO that I've referred to earlier, but he, he, he was... Um, he was very uh, autocratic in, in many of his decisions. He would he would discuss things and debate things, but then you realise that you know Peter had now gone into his bubble, and whatever was going to come out was going to please some of the people some of the time. Um, but he made that so apparent that that was his personal remit in decision making that you know it wasn't something that people would go back on. And I think that is that is a point. I, I, I worked for another company, privately owned business, where the CEO had manifestly not got that level of skill or intuition. And so what would happen there is that apparent decisions would suddenly come winging back 24 hours later in a different context. And usually through a badly handled network as well, because what would happen would be a decision would be apparently made. And then the following morning, somebody from another part of the business would ring up and say, I've just had x and his name will be x on the phone telling me you know we're not going to do x y and z and you're thinking well that just we just discussed that yesterday and it wasn't even coming from the construct construct that was the executive board it was coming from outside that and what he was really doing there was trying to test the validity of his own decision making outside the community that were making the decision which in a way is a good practice but only if people understand that's what's going to happen. And, and you know, it, it's another, it, it is another dimension to networking that, you know, when, you, when you're uh, a CEO running a business or the CEO, you have to have a network that's outside your normal chain of command that you can test. Uh, and if people know that that's transparent and that's the way you're going to operate, that's fine. If it's not apparent that that is the way you're operating, then it can be very, very disruptive to... The business or you know well in a military sense it just doesn't happen but in a business sense it can be very disruptive well yeah i'm interested in that from a from a, a military sense because you know one of the things that i talk a lot about is the importance of a, a, a diverse network in terms of cognitive diversity in terms of different types of thinking and obviously within uh the navy where you, you talked earlier about everyone's been on the same journey together that leads to groupthink and, and and it leads to potentially a bubble. Now, you would know better than me, you know, how much of an issue that is. But, of course, um, the military, by its very nature and need, is a very secretive organisation. So you're very limited in, in external ideas. Uh, as a leader in the Navy, to what extent could you test your uh, ideas outside that Navy bubble? And was that something you were able to do? Well, yeah, it depends on the. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'd contest the point that the military is highly secretive. I, I think actually it's it's one of the most transparent organisations we have, really. Um, but for operational reasons, of course, there are a lot of things that you know can't get out in the public domain. Uh, perhaps I'll just take it down to a local level because the, the the concept in this I think is understood better this way. When I was commanding a, a ship, I had three hundred people in the ship, and you know I had a second in command. I had. A, uh, heads of department, marine engineering, weapon engineering, logistics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they were all career officers that had come up through the system, whatever. Um, I had, uh, I had 
an executive warrant officer as well, like a sergeant major in the army, the most senior uh, senior rating on board. But I had people who were slightly what I would call outside that chain of command, but in the ship. I had uh, a regulating petty officer who's the service policeman who sort of sees everybody around the ship. Uh, I had the doc who was a commando trained medic, uh, but, you know, uh, was embarked for that deployment. Um, I used to use people like that because they were they were sufficiently diverse in their background. Uh, my RPO was, was, was female as well, which helped. Uh, and the doc was outside the normal chain of command, but a very intelligent person with the right kind of competence and whatever. And, you know, not on operational issues of whether the ship should go to A or B or what we were doing, but on more general policy, you know, that we would get to. You, you get to very difficult decisions sometimes at sea where you know, you're going to take option A, which will normally displace things like people's leave or ability to get, you know, in touch with their families. You're going to have to close the ship down communication-wise for maybe, you know, weeks or days on end. Uh, it's that kind of thing that you just run past these people and you get the alternative view. And, and I, I had that in, in a business sense. Um, we, we, we were in a very difficult time in the industrial business I was in because the oil price had collapsed, not this time, but the last time it collapsed. And obviously, you know, we had a significant pain on, on contracts and, 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 and what have you. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to have a commercial... Uh, lawyer that I'd worked with for a long time um, and actually he did a bit of consultancy work uh, you know on, on these contracts but he'd also in his own right uh, run a, a business in a similar sort of area engineering support services and I used to use him as a very good sounding board way outside you know the system and and it's something really that from a networking point of view people need to bear in mind because it may not be that your network is functioning in terms of advancing you. It could well be that you're an external authority that somebody values in another organization. And whether you leverage that or not at a later stage is up to you. But the network works in that way just as effectively as the internal uh, uh, one does. And that, that can absolutely work both ways as well. Uh, Really fascinating and great insights. We're coming towards the end of the uh, of the interview. There's one one thing I, I do want to ask you before we finish, um, and that is, you know, the focus has very much been on traditional hierarchies, but over the last few years, there's been an increasing trend towards flatter organisations in a lot of industries. Is that something that you see as a, as a positive thing? I think, you know, it's maybe a glib answer, but it depends on the industry. Um, I think, you know, in areas such as, you know, the, the emergent fintech, IT, whatever, I think uh, the flatter structure uh, tends to work. Um, but, you know, in things like the services industries, product delivery or whatever, I'm not so convinced. Um, uh, I think the one thing that hierarchies do bring you is, clear line of sight to decision making, whether it's right or wrong. Um, you know, you have to take that as part of the, the downside of it. Um, but there is clear line of sight, responsibility and accountability for the decision making. Um, but look, you know, I, I would say that flat structures are the emergent norm. Uh, and I think in terms of where that leaves us with the issue of networking, it's probably, if anything, much more important than it has been before. If you're in a hierarchy, 
the more, the, let's call it the lazy, can sit back and accept the hierarchy and say, I'll be told. Whereas if you're in a flat structure, there isn't an I be told culture. Uh, there is much more of the need for you to reach out to peers, to compatriots, uh, to understand the thinking that's likely to emerge in a flat structure group uh, to make something work. Because in the end, the only thing networking is going to do for any organization is it may advance the individual, but overall it's got to work for the team and got to work for the organization. So it's back to those proactive individuals and the strength of the relationships again. Yeah, I do come back to this fact that, you know, a lot of networking revolves around the individual, revolves around you. You know, the effectiveness of your network is directly reflected on your own competence, your ability to self-motivate, self-generate and, and advance. Um, and, you know, that is the way, probably the most effective way to generate a network that's going to work for you as the individual, but also work for the organisation in which you happen to be in. Thank you very much to Russell for sharing his expertise with us. He's obviously someone who really understands the power of networks and, and their importance in, in whichever type of organisation you're in. You know, at that point he said that people who are effective at generating networks are also effective at their jobs really shone through uh, throughout our discussion. So really appreciate his time and, and I found the conversation fascinating. I hope that you did as well. Uh, on Thursday, I will be talking to Russell uh, a little bit more, talking about his own personal journey, the relationships that he's built over the years, and also where they might have gone wrong and some resources that he would recommend. So please join us for that and join us again next week on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.